Welcome to the Say the Word podcast, where we'll dig into words and language as tools for curiosity. I'm your host, Cindy Givinoli, and together we're going to explore how language is used in literature, memoir, poetry, and all kinds of fiction and nonfiction to connect us to what it means to be human and how to use curiosity to peel back the layers of what's keeping us from living the rich, meaningful lives we were always meant to be living. Hi there, and welcome back. Oh man, you guys, I am so excited about today's episode. Our passage is from William Leasty Moon's book, Blue Highways, which is a book of profound influence in my life. So during the summer before my freshman year of high school, my honors English teacher, a Ms. Youngblood, who I would dearly love to find and thank for changing my damn life, assigned her incoming students two assignments. First, we had to keep a journal over the summer, and second, we had to read this book. That journaling habit has never left me, and I've been keeping one ever since. And that summer, I inhaled Blue Highways, reading and rereading it, knowing that this book was teaching me something profound about what it meant to live in the world, to be curious and explore beyond the limits of my own small universe, even if I couldn't yet nail down exactly what it was that I was learning. I was 14 years old, and my military family had moved just a few months earlier from Virginia to Texas, and I was feeling the isolation and insecurity of being a new kid in a new place. William Leesteep Moon's words began to give me language and a perspective that emboldened and assured me that being in a new place and having the opportunity to meet and talk with people who were walking a different path from me was not only okay, but a key part of living richly and fully. I came back and revisited this book time and again throughout high school and then into college. I actually had to invest in a new copy when my own dog-eared version was so tattered and covered in my scribbles as to render it, you know, totally illegible. And as I grew from that 14-year-old into my 20s, it also began to teach me the language of the road and adventure to of staying open to exploring my own life, to following where my curiosity took me. Externally, of course, but also internally as well. You know, I believe that it was this book that primed my young self for the adventures that filled my early 20s, that led to traveling the country and working in the outdoors, eager to see these blue back roads and the places he described eager to fill my own journals with the kinds of interactions and conversations and interior investigation that I found in his words. So my very first summer as a raft guide in the mountains of Western North Carolina, alongside another guide who shared my love for this book, we hitchhiked the three and a half hours to get to Nameless, Tennessee. We had to promise our ride that we would buy him dinner at the Huddle House off of I-40 if he'd just get us to the sign marking Nameless's city limits. We had to pool our tip money, but that man got his waffles and we got to touch the sign. You know, if you've never read it, I implore you to add it to your list. I have probably read it at least 20 times since that first summer it was assigned, and in every new stage of my life, I get something new from it. 
a deeper understanding of all that he was saying on these pages, all that he was exploring, both within himself and his own life, and in each of the small hamlets sprinkled around this country where he met and engaged with so many different people doing so many different things. Part of the reason it has taken me so long to get here on this podcast is that it felt impossible to choose a single selection from this book to share with you, and maybe even more impossible to be objective about a single paragraph. But since, you know, it feels a bit like a crime against humanity not to share his words with as many people as I can, I have grudgingly picked just this one measly excerpt. So here we go from William Least Heat Moon's Blue Highways. Again on the road, I drove up a lumpy, dry plateau, all the while thinking of the errors that had led me to Hack Creek. The word error comes from a Middle English word, errand, which means to wander about, as in the night errand. The word evolved to mean going astray, and that evolved to mean mistake. As for mistake, it derives from Old Norse and once meant to take wrongly. Yesterday, I had been mistaken and in error, taking one wrong road after another. As a result, I had come to a place of clear beauty and met a man who carried his philosophy on a cafe business card. The annals of scientific discovery are full of errors that opened new worlds. Bell was working on an apparatus to aid the deaf when he invented the telephone. Edison was tinkering with the telephone when he invented the phonograph. If a man can keep alert and imaginative, an error is a possibility, a chance at something new. To him, wandering and wondering are part of the same process. And he is most mistaken, most in error, whenever he quits exploring. This is incredible, right? The whole book is like this, just this luscious indulgence of gorgeous language and practical wisdom. Guys, it is so hard for me not to just gush, gush, gush. Okay, so this is pretty straightforward on so many levels, but I just wanna look at it more closely, take it just a bit at a time, mostly because it's just so fun. Now, in this early section, he dives into the etymology of the words error and mistake, and I want to focus now on error. He says it began in Middle English from a word meaning to wander about, and then evolved to mean going astray and then to mistake. Okay, so I do feel like there's a larger conversation to be had here about authority and patriarchy and, I don't know, keeping the proletariat in line. but. I suppose I will leave that here for now because the first thought I had when reading that section was about the relationship between the idea of error and creative pursuit. Now, I've said this here before, but to be clear, when I say creative pursuit, I am not solely referring to the making of fine art. I mean literally anything that requires that your mind stretch, whether that is art or music or creative writing or it's engineering, how to make a parking lot shed water properly, or, I don't know, problem solving how two parents can get three kids to their separate respective after-school activities all at the same time. Every single one of us leans into our creativity every single day. 
It is why terrible catchphrases like thinking outside the box run amok in our lexicon. Now, what's interesting here is this idea of error and mistake and the way we automatically associate it with wrongness, that we've done something incorrectly. But when considered in the light of creative pursuit, it becomes obvious to anyone who's ever tried to come up with an original idea while simultaneously maintaining some idea of correctness that the two are nearly mutually exclusive in those first initial stages. There are endless examples of advice out there about the first stage of creative pursuit being all about generating ideas, a sort of throw spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks approach. Often we're encouraged to try to get as zany and sort of out there as possible. I have heard that in design and in advertising, the rule of thumb is to automatically discard the first two to three ideas suggested because they're the ones everyone comes up with are too obvious to be sufficiently original. But how is it possible to come up with that zany idea if we're also trying to not get it wrong? That fear of wrongness creates an immediate constraint that stifles our imaginations. I catch myself in this almost daily. You know, it pops up when I write fiction for sure. Thoughts along the lines of, am I doing this right? Sneak up and really never fail to make me laugh when I notice them. Who is it that I think is going to, you know, come into my home office and police my draft? Who is this looming authority I imagine is judging me as I type? It even pops up in the privacy of my journaling. I'm a fan of Julia Cameron's morning pages practice where she advises writing three pages longhand as close to waking up each day as possible. And the goal is simply to capture whatever's floating around in our brains. Now, I caught myself just yesterday as I was scribbling out an idea and realizing that I wanted to turn it into an email to my list wondering if it was somehow cheating to have that in my morning pages and if I should stop writing. Again, hilarious. Cheating? Whose rules are these that I think I'm supposed to be abiding by? Is there some teacher figure who is going to fail my personal morning pages? What is that? This is lifelong work for me, this work of recognizing when I'm seeking correctness, lack of mistake, approval, even of the theoretical sort, over creation, over unabashed authenticity, over bravery. My friend Maggie once referred to a moment she'd experienced like this as a perfectionism flare-up, and I love that term. It's how I think of these moments. These perfectionism flare-ups are so often connected to some striving not to make mistakes, to get it right. And they diminish the quality of my work, the originality of what I make when I let them go unchecked. Willingness to step into the unknown and really to play there is at the heart of creation and of connection of learning and growth both on a micro level as well as a macro level. Look, I know this likely seems obvious and I'm sure you've heard some version of it before, but that's part of why I love what Least Heat Moon has done here. To recast error in the light of its earlier original meaning to wander about, Suddenly, the idea of error feels expansive instead of limiting. It feels almost like an imperative to explore, which is at the heart of creativity, right? To explore possibility. 
Which, to jump ahead in his excerpt, is the point he makes when he says, if a man can keep alert and imaginative, an error is a possibility, a chance at something new. Now, a quick aside, I do want to note that Blue Highways is a memoir written by a man, so he's referring to himself specifically, and also man in the non-gendered, all-humans sense. It was published in 1982 when this was the default most widely accepted. Anyway, let's say that one more time. He says, if a man can keep alert and imaginative, an error is a possibility, a chance at something new. And he continues, wandering and wondering are part of the same process. Ugh, I love that so much. The thing is, is there any pursuit more creative than the living out of our lives? We are constantly adjusting and readjusting to the swerves and swivels of life, to new information or new circumstances, to forks in our roads that we never anticipated. How do we even define error in the broader context of our lives? How do we define mistake? So there's a story that makes the rounds in mindfulness circles. Sometimes it's attributed as a Buddhist parable, sometimes a Taoist one, and I can't vouch for its origins, though I will link a version in the show notes in case you're interested in a fuller telling. Anyway, the general plot of the story is that there is a farmer whose plow horse runs away, and everyone consoles him for his bad luck, but he just shrugs and says some variation of, bad luck or good luck, who knows? And when the horse returns, bringing more horses, everyone says, what good luck? And his reply is the same, good luck or bad luck, who knows? And then his son falls off one of the horses and breaks a leg, and everyone says, what bad luck? And again, bad luck, good luck, who knows? Then the army comes through conscripting able-bodied young men for war, but since his son's leg is broken, and everyone says, what good luck? And I think you get the gist. You know, this reminds me a lot of our discussion back in episode 14, again, when we talked about Matt Haig's novel, The Midnight Library. We have no idea what really is good luck or bad luck, and often the same is true for our errors and the mistakes we make, the roads we took that now feel like wrong choices. But are we sure those other roads really held a better destination? Of course not. We can't know that for sure. Now, Since creating that episode, I have read Daniel Pink's fascinating book, The Power of Regret. In it, he explores the idea of regret, how we think of it as a culture, and how powerful it can be as a tool for growth and empowerment. From his research, he concluded that human regret can be divided into four categories. Foundation regrets, boldness regrets, moral regrets, and connection regrets. And maybe even more intriguing to me is that he found a far greater percentage of regret stems from failures in these categories than in active behaviors. Now, I will let you dive into his work for yourself for the full picture, and I really do recommend that you do. But what I want to home in on for our discussion today are the boldness regrets. I'm just going to read this section straight up to you. He says, If foundation regrets arise from the failure to plan ahead, work hard, follow through, and build a stable platform for life, boldness regrets are their counterpart. They arise from the failure to take full advantage of that platform, to use it as a springboard into a richer life. 
Sometimes boldness regrets emerge from an accumulation of decisions and indecisions. Other times they erupt from a single moment. But whatever their origin, the question they present us is always the same. Play it safe or take a chance. With boldness regrets, we choose to play it safe. That may relieve us at first. The change we're contemplating may sound too big, too disruptive, too challenging, too hard. But eventually the choice distresses us with a counterfactual in which we were more daring and consequently more fulfilled. Boldness regrets sound like this. If only I'd taken the risk. Mm, I just want to repeat that last line. He says, boldness regrets sound like this. If only I'd taken the risk. The addendum to that is the question, what is it that we're risking? While the surface answer might change based on person and situation, what the answer always boils down to is the same, right? We're risking being wrong, of making a mistake, of making the bold choice and then blowing up our lives for no good reason. And that's fair, truly. As I said back in episode 14, we do have a tendency to attach only the most ideal outcomes to the choices we didn't make. And that can be misleading. But I do think there's an intersection between what Pink found in his research and what Least Heat Moon says in today's excerpt. Again, he says, Yesterday I had been mistaken and in error, taking one wrong road after another. As a result, I had come to a place of clear beauty and met a man who carried his philosophy on a cafe business card. And he goes on later in the excerpt to say, If a man can keep alert and imaginative, an error is a possibility, a chance at something new. To him, wandering and wondering are part of the same process, and he is most mistaken, most in error, whenever he quits exploring. I don't know if, at the end of the day, most people's regrets around their failures of boldness are really about the specific risk they didn't take. I think perhaps the regret is deeper, about being a person who can see error as a possibility, someone willing to, as Pink puts it, springboard into a richer life. I haven't used the word curiosity directly today, or not in this context, but I think you can see where it fits into this conversation. Isn't this precisely what Lee Heat Moon means when he says that we are most mistaken, most in error whenever we quit exploring? What he means when he calls on us to remain alert and imaginative? How we come to see error as a possibility, a chance at something new? Curiosity keeps us nimble. As he says, alert and imaginative. Alert to the next set of forks in our road. Imaginative to, as to how we can see the clear beauty of the places those forks bring us to, how to delight in who we meet there, and to see the ongoing possibilities of each new exploration. What might it look like to embrace the Middle English version of error? What if we begin to think of our errors as the necessary wandering toward our richest possible lives? Alexander Graham Bell not only invented the telephone by mistake, but faced ridicule and a bunch of legal, lengthy, bureaucratic legal battles once he recognized its value. Thomas Edison held 1,093 patents for various inventions, including the phonograph, 
Each one is a result of repeated failures and often attempts at creating something else entirely. And those are just the inventions that eventually qualified for patent. There's no shortage of famous examples of researchers and artists and engineers and writers and inventors and political theorists whose wandering and wondering were part of the same process and led to original and sometimes revolutionary ideas. And they are incredibly inspiring, of course. But I would bet that if we had the ability to have a conversation with Bell or Edison right now, they might say that it was the wandering and wondering itself, the errors and the portals of possibility that they opened that were at the heart of their commitment, that drove them to the work day in and day out. We can stay curious, embrace error as the necessary wandering to that rich and meaningful life. We can see our errors as possibility and a chance at something new, and we can choose to take risk to peer down the fork in the road with a certainty that our alertness and imagination will see us through. At the end of the day, a legacy like Bell's or Edison's may or may not be out of reach for us, but living a rich and meaningful life never is. So let's aim for that place of clear beauty and the people that we'll meet along the way. Again, Today's excerpt is from William Least Heat Moon's wonderful, wonderful book, Blue Highways, which, as always, I will link in the show notes at cindyjivanoli.com backslash podcast. Look, do yourself a favor and read this if you never have. I know that I'm biased, that I am no longer capable of really differentiating this book from its impact on my impressionable youth. But in many ways, it's been my most recent readings of it that have revealed the deeper internal underpinnings of his exploration. And I am delighted to say that it has yet to lose its ability to make me think deeply about my life and my own curiosity in new ways. Okay, so this week's listener contribution comes from Ingrid Kay, and she says, Hi, Cindy. I'm writing an answer to your call for things we've read that have impacted us. I moved recently, and while unboxing books, rediscovered a favorite from my childhood, Lois Lowry's The Giver. This quote is one of many that I underlined. Our people made that choice, the choice to go to sameness, before my time, before the previous time, back and back and back. We relinquished color when we relinquished sunshine and did away with difference. We gained control of many things, but we had to let go of others. And she says, It reminds me of the choices we're always making between things like conformity and originality, freedom and safety, and that I should endeavor to stay aware of where on those spectrums I fall at any given moment. Thank you for sharing. I really enjoy your podcast. Oh, thank you for sharing this, Ingrid. Man, I'd forgotten about that book. I'm going to have to dig it off my bookshelf and revisit because I remember it being one of those chock full of life lessons kinds of books. I love what you said about awareness here, Ingrid, of knowing where we are on these spectrums. Thank you so much for this reminder and food for thought. I am always looking for more of these listener contributions, so please share yours. As I mentioned in my last episode, I cannot promise weekly episodes on the nose just yet, but know that I am so excited to get back to more regular publication schedule just as soon as I possibly can. Now, in my next episode, I will be sharing an excerpt from Louise Erdrich's novel, The Roundhouse, and you know I'm already looking forward to sharing a piece of her incredible work with you. But in the meantime, be sure to stay curious out there. 
That's it for this episode of the Say the Word podcast, where we explore how language is used in fiction, nonfiction, and poetry to connect us to what it means to be human and how to use curiosity to peel back the layers of what's keeping us from living the rich, meaningful lives we were always meant to be living. Be sure to share and subscribe so you don't miss an episode, and I would so appreciate it if you would go ahead and leave a review. Thanks for listening. I'm Cindy Givinoli, and I'll see you next week on Say the Word. Say the Word.